This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. In today's show, I am going to talk about the phrase smart enough. What exactly does smart enough mean? Um, What sort of things does smarts determine and what things do smarts not determine and how that affects our kids with ADHD. I want to start out by just kind of sharing our experience in this area. My son um, is super intelligent. He has a gifted level IQ. He is very, very bright, but yet he receives, um, you know, C's and D's a lot in school. School is really hard for him. And we have bounced around to a lot of different schools. We've tried small private school. We were asked to leave after two months. They said they couldn't teach him. We have tried three charter schools now. All were terrible. And the last one was especially heinous. It was sixth grade. It was a brand new school that was modeled on um, the growth model and experiential learning. It sounded fantastic on paper. And so we signed him up and thought that this was going to be the right environment for him. It's going to be smaller class sizes. It was going to be a lot of hands-on learning and just, you know, a school that thinks outside of that traditional school model. And what happened was, despite the fact that they had staff that um, were special education certified teachers, they still did not understand kids with learning differences. And they certainly didn't understand kids who are twice exceptional. And what twice exceptional means is that they have a gifted IQ, but they also have a disability. And that disability can be a lot of things, or it can be multiple things. For my son in particular, it's ADHD, high-functioning autism, dysgraphia, written expression disorder, and some pretty significant executive functioning delays. And you put all those things together, and it makes it really, really difficult to succeed in our traditional learning environment. Our schools here in the United States are looking for sameness and conformity and kids who can churn out worksheets and kids who um, can be motivated to do well and to do these worksheets and the work because it's important, because somebody told them to. Um, Kids who are very organized and good planners for long-term projects. And so kids who have these learning disabilities and developmental disabilities are not able to match that expectation. They have these brain differences that are physiological, biological differences 
in their brains. This is not something we imagine. It's not a character flaw or lack of motivation. This is an actual physical difference in our kids' bodies, in their neurology, that makes it really hard for them to succeed in this very traditional public school model. And so when you have a kid who's twice exceptional, who has all these challenges and doesn't meet expectations, but yet you can see how very smart they are, what do you do with that? How do you interpret that? And the problem is that so often people think, well, he's smart enough. And at this charter school, that's exactly what we were told just about every day. He was either told directly by one of his teachers or the director or the special ed teacher that he was smart enough to do blank if he put his mind to it, if he wanted to, if he would just focus, whatever. You know, there's all sorts of reasons that they wanted to attribute to why he wasn't succeeding and disabilities didn't seem to be any of those reasons for them. And so we were constantly hearing this, he's smart enough phrase. And it was the worst year for him. He actually was so in crisis, so pressure filled, so anxious that he started harming himself at school to try to get to come home because the school environment was so awful for him because he was constantly being told that he was smart enough and they didn't understand why he just wouldn't do the work and do a good job at it. And, you know, imagine that that's you, that you're 12 years old, you're sitting in the classroom, you understand the material that your teacher is giving you, you might even be interested in that material, but then you're asked to complete a worksheet, even though your handwriting is illegible, and it's really hard for you to put your thoughts on paper, and then when you've tried really hard and you've done the very best that you can because you really want to succeed, and your teacher comes to you and says, this isn't good enough. You're smarter than this. I know you're smart enough to do a good job at this. Just take a second and really imagine what that feels like to a 12-year-old boy. If it were me at my age as an adult, it would feel horrible. And it feels even worse to our kids because they're already battered and beaten in school and in a lot of social situations. And so, you know, we're trying to protect them. We're trying to help them learn in the ways that they can learn. We want them to have accommodations so that they can show um, the knowledge that they're learning. You know, these kids, when they are smart, when they are gifted, they are learning. They just aren't able to show what they're learning in the manner in which the school wants it, through a test, through a worksheet, um, through some beautiful poster presentation or diorama. You know, there are other ways, and our school systems still aren't really flexible enough to get there, unfortunately. You know, my son loves to do videos for a report instead of a written report. And when teachers give him that opportunity, it's fantastic. And he does a really great job. But that same exact assignment, when he's asked to write it, even type it, he's 
resistant. He's anxious about it. He feels a lot of pressure. You know, kids want to succeed. As we've talked about in other episodes of the podcast, Ross Green, who wrote The Explosive Child, he says kids do well if they can. And so when kids aren't doing well, especially a smart kid with a gifted IQ in a regular ed classroom, not a gifted classroom, when that child has C's and D's, the parents and the teachers need to ask why. Why is this kid not learning or not able to show what he's learning? And there are all sorts of reasons for that. And I think it's really, really important that we understand that SMART is not the only determining factor of capability. And that is just so key. And I have had to remind teachers and educators of this so many times. And I have to remind parents a lot too, because we're very programmed to to think that intelligence somehow equates to success. The smarter you are, the more successful you're going to be. And that really just isn't an absolute that we can depend on. And twice exceptional kids, twice exceptional adults are kind of the poster kids of what that looks like, what it looks like to be smart. And your intelligence is not the full... Um, measure or predictor of what your success level is going to be. And so, you know, again, this goes back to setting expectations. And it's something I write about a lot. I talk about a lot. I talk to a lot of parents specifically about this. Um, I go over it a lot in the online course, The Complete Guide to ADHD as well, because it really does make or break your success as a parent of a kid with ADHD. You have to have appropriate expectations of your children. And the teachers also have to have appropriate expectations of exactly where our kids are at that point in time. So if ADHD is a developmental disability, then our kids are two to three years behind their peers. When my son sits in an eighth grade classroom with his high IQ, he still is at a very big disadvantage because, for one thing, he has two developmental disabilities that mean that he is two to three years behind his peers, not in intelligence, but in functioning, in skills, um, in the ways that he has to show this knowledge and prove and earn grades. And so that's the first... um, the first quantifier for predicting success, academic success. So intelligence can play a role in it, but it also has to be about where that child is developmentally. Then you have to layer on learning disabilities. Kids with ADHD are, I think it is 40 to 50% more likely to also have a learning disability than their peers without ADHD. And so it's very likely that your child might struggle with dysgraphia, dyslexia, dyscalculia. Um, There are others as well. And so that's another layer 
that is part of that defining academic success and, and predicting that success for your child. So you kind of, you start with this intelligence, wherever it may be, it could be average, it could be below average, it could be above average, you kind of start there, but then these other factors almost chip away at that, they reduce it and bring it down and make it even harder for that student, that child to succeed at school. And there are so many things that we can be doing and teachers and educators can be doing to help. The first thing is to never ever say to a child that they are smart enough. Now it would be different if my son had no disabilities and really just wanted to be lazy. He really didn't care to do well, and did the bare minimum to get by, that would be a completely different story. And somebody might say to him, you're smart enough to do better than this. My argument might be that there's probably some underlying piece to that child that no one knows yet that is keeping them from really succeeding. But we can use that as a baseline. That kid is defined by their intelligence as a predictor of their capability and you know they ought to be able to perform as well as their um as their iq kind of defines but then you have a kid like mine and maybe yours where you start up there with that intelligence whatever level it may be and then you drop a few pegs for inattention and distractibility and losing their place in what they're doing and not having good working memory. And that really takes away from that intelligence. It's a barrier that kind of chips away at that. Then you add in something like a learning disability. Now you've dropped down a few more pegs. And so you can see that a kid's capability has to be defined by so much more than intelligence. We should never be saying smart enough to kids who are twice exceptional or kids who have disabilities. It's just not acceptable. You know, we wouldn't go to a kid in a wheelchair and say, hey, you're smart enough to walk. I know you know how to do this. That sounds completely absurd, doesn't it? completely absurd. And yet, this is pretty much the same thing. And a lot of you are going to say, no, that's a physical disability. And they absolutely can't their legs don't work. Well, I can tell you from experience, over the last decade, that there are parts of my son's brain, or, or aspects, skills that come from the brain that don't work, or don't work well enough. And so when you tell him, well, he's smart enough to know something or smart enough to do the work, you're basically saying the same thing as telling a kid in the wheelchair that they are smart enough to walk because intellectually, cognitively, they know how to walk. And that's crazy. And, you know, it turns my stomach to even think about walking up to a physically handicapped kid and saying you're smart enough to walk. It's nuts. 
I had a friend in third grade. She was my best and only friend. My dad had been in the military, in the army, and we had moved around a lot. And in third grade, I went to three different schools in one year. And this was, um, I believe, my second school that year. And she was the one and only friend that I could make in this school. And by this time, I'd already moved a lot, and I was already an anxious, shy kid. And so I really kind of burrowed within myself and didn't even try to make friends because it was hard and I knew I was going to move again. And, you know, and we were in a very temporary situation in this school. So I knew without a doubt that I was not going to be there long. And so I made friends with this girl who had cerebral palsy. And so she, I believe if I remember correctly, had some, um, some sort of aid to walk she was able to walk, but she had a walker or something like that, um, or hand crutches. And she also had some issues with her hands. So in third grade, of course, you're doing a lot of penmanship activities. You're starting to learn um, cursive, especially back then when cursive was a big deal. And our teacher would stand up and hold up her paper with a big D or a big F on it and talk about how she didn't try enough, and this was not the way that you did proper cursive, and really just embarrass and humiliate her, which was the first problem with that happening. But I knew that my friend was sitting at home for hours at night, painfully, trying to write legibly because she had a physical handicap and her handicaps were very obvious. This was not invisible disabilities like our kids go through. This teacher knew that she had cerebral palsy. This teacher knew that she um, had a lot of motor issues with her hands and her feet and her legs. She knew that this was hard for her, but yet she felt like her mind functioned enough so she ought to be able to do this. And it's just heartbreaking, really. Um, I don't know. I, I was not able to keep in touch with her over the years. Um, my grandmother was friends with her mother, I believe, and has said to me many times in my adulthood that they appreciated so much how I befriended her because nobody else would. And I, you know, I look back on that now. I mean, in third grade, I didn't know I was going to have kids, much less a, a child with disabilities. And I remember that experience with her and how much that taught me. And one of the big takeaways for me now as an adult is that you can't judge intelligence and cognitive ability with capability. It just is not an appropriate full single predictor of capability. And so, you know, that goes right back to the phrase smart enough and how detrimental that can really be to our kids and how much we absolutely shouldn't say it ourselves, but also 
shouldn't allow our educators and our teachers to say it. And I want to give you an example of what this might look like at home. Because as I said, parents a lot of times are using this phrase with their kids. Well, you're smart enough to clean your room. Why can't you do it? Why haven't you done it? Why haven't you done it properly? You're smart enough to take out the trash. It's not that hard. Um, And what we don't realize is that those neurotypical expectations are inappropriate. You know, telling my son to clean his room and walking away and expecting for him to plan and organize and to pick it up and have it neat and tidy in a manner that I would call clean with no other instruction other than clean your room is absolutely absurd. And is he intelligent enough to pick up his room? Well, of course he is. That has nothing to do with it. And it goes back to that same um, setting appropriate expectations for our kids. I need to sit down and say, okay, my son has clinically bad executive functioning, organization and planning, which are huge factors in cleaning your room. My son is two to three years behind his peers. So while he's 14, he's really more like 11. And then what does that tell me? That tells me that I need to give him very specific instructions. I need to break that task down into many, many small chunks little bits at a time. I need to offer him support and scaffolding to get that project done. I might need to give him visuals of what I expect the room to look like, what I call a clean room. And a great thing to do for that is to take photographs of your um, child's room when it is clean in the manner in which you intend it to be. Then you take pictures of the dresser. You can even take a picture inside every one of the dresser drawers. Here's the top drawer. It has your socks. Here's the second drawer. It has your underwear. See how all the drawers are closed all the way and nothing's hanging out. Open the closet. Take a photo. This is your clothes hung up. Notice there's no dirty clothes on the floor. You know, And have a poster or a sign or something with a visual of your expectation of what a clean room is. And, you know, you will do so much better when you set appropriate expectations. And again, intelligence is not a measure of whether or not my son can clean his room and do it adequately. There are just so many other factors that we really have to be thinking about. And, you know, for kids with ADHD, those factors are basically executive functions, So that's planning, organization, working memory, um, getting started on a task, task initiation. You have inattention and distractibility. So as they're cleaning up, they find a toy they love and they completely lose focus and stop cleaning. Um, You have working memory, which was part of that executive functioning, but that's a huge one in any process. Kids get lost when their working memory skills are not great. And so these are all factors of what your expectation should be. And really at home, smart enough doesn't really have any place in, in 
our discussions with our kids at home. Even if you're working on homework, it's not, hey, kid, you're smart enough to do this math, so I don't know why you're not doing it. Well, there's a lot of reasons they're not doing it. They can't remember the formulas. They're losing their place either in the assignment or in that particular math problem. They're distracted by noise or other people in the house around them. The worksheet is overwhelming. It looks like too much. They have time blindness and they feel like they're never going to get done. So they don't even want to try because it's going to take too long. And I'm sure there's many more. That's just off the top of my head. Again, there's so, so many factors that determine capability and success for our kids with ADHD. And I really, really want you to be very mindful about that in your interactions with your kids at home. And then certainly be very mindful of that when you're discussing um, your child and their work and their capability and their performance with teachers at school as well. This ties into a discussion about grades as well. You know, grades are used, especially in the United States, to define someone's intelligence and capability. And again, this goes back to the fact that intelligence alone doesn't predict capability. And so can a kid with mediocre grades go on as an adult to do something monumental and wonderful or helpful or fulfilling in their adult life? Absolutely. There are very, very successful people out there who have ADHD or learning disabilities or who had mostly D's and F's in school. Um, There are many adults with ADHD who talk about how they barely graduated from high school and ended up going on to college and getting a master's and a PhD and actually thriving in school later on. And I think part of that is because the higher you get in your post-secondary education, the more control the student has over defining where their their um, where their learning is going. You know, you do your thesis, you choose what you want to do, for instance, and that puts the interest into the equation that helps the ADHD brain to latch on to something and get motivated and do well with it. Um, So grades are not necessarily a predictor of someone's future success or failure. You can get really bad grades in school and go on to be really successful the famous filmmaker Steven Spielberg was actually denied entrance the first time to film school because he had lackluster grades in high school and they thought that he did not have the potential to meet the rigorous demands of film school. Um, You know, there are athletes, famous, very wealthy, very successful athletes who have ADHD, who did poorly in school, but really thrived later. And the key there is really about interest and talent. And this is something I talk about over and over again. You have to focus on your child's strengths 
interests, talents, and passions much more than you focus on their weaknesses and their disabilities. And by doing that, number one, you're helping to guide them to that area where they can be successful, but you're also helping their self-esteem in situations like traditional public education where it's nearly impossible for them to succeed. And that is so very valuable. So setting expectations that are appropriate for your child, meeting them where they are right now, and then offering them more and more success. And that's going to really give you a great formula for a healthy and happy future for your child. And, you know, I think that's really the point that I wanted to get at with the show about um, the phrase smart enough and how much I frankly despise that phrase, especially for our kids. But, you know, that's how you understand your child and you no longer even think of saying things like you're smart enough because you understand now that intelligence doesn't predict capability alone. And I want you to really just be mindful, be mindful with your kids about what they're going through, what their truth is in that moment, and then decide what they really are and aren't capable of in that situation. I thank you for listening today, and I will see you next week with another episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.